Is dispensationalism a bad word? Find out what dispensationalism is and how you may yourself be a dispensationalist without even knowing it on this edition of the Bellator Christie Podcast. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics, while taking Christian truth into the arena of ideas. This is the Bill Tool Christie Podcast, and this is your host, yours truly, Brian Chilton. We thank you for uh, joining us on the podcast today and hope you're doing well uh, wherever you may be. I do want to remind you that the Bellator Christie Podcast is a production of bellatorchristie.com, and uh, we hope that you will uh, check out and subscribe to the Bellator Christie Podcast. We're found on uh, uh, iTunes, tune, uh, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, as well as Google Play. Uh, while you're there, whatever device you may be listening to us on, we do encourage you to go and leave a positive review, and uh, this will help uh, elevate the podcast so that more people can find us on the uh, on the podcast, it also helps us uh, as far as advertising goes. It uh, elevates the, the podcast uh, in that regard. So uh, if you would do that, I greatly appreciate that. Also, uh, be sure to go out and check uh, bellatorchristie.com. Uh, there you will find articles as well as uh, links to these podcasts. And so we encourage you to take advantage of that. And again, would greatly appreciate any support that you can give. Today I want to talk about uh, an issue. I've, I've touched on it before, and uh, I want to uh, touch on it a little bit again. It, it seems like that uh, for some reason in... Um well, it's just the culture. I, I think I think it's, it's the culture. With with it being a social media culture, I don't think that people know how to um, deal with and discuss issues anymore without taking things to to the extreme. And unfortunately, this is uh, even happening in the world of theology. And uh, th- there are some very good theologians, very well-meaning theologians out there and uh, apologists out there who uh, basically have given uh, what's called dispensationalism and views of the rapture a bad rap. Um, and and I listen, I've had some conversations with some folks o- online. This isn't, this isn't spe- specifically uh, devoted to anyone I have con- you know, conversed with. So if you're listening to the podcast, th- this podcast is not directed towards you if I've talked about with you some of these issues. But it just seems like to me that there's a growing misunderstanding of what dispensationalism and, and the rapture view is. Um, and so I want to take a few moments on today's podcast. I don't have a lot of time to go in depth with these issues today and Unfortunately, uh, we just have a lot of. I have a lot of mine. My, my I and my family have a lot of irons in the fire right now, so uh, try to sneak in a podcast when I can. But I want to briefly go through and describe uh, what dispensationalism is, 
uh, and and what the rapture view is. And you may not you may not agree with either one of these at the end of the podcast, and that's okay. You know, we all have differences of opinion, and uh, we approach things in different ways. Uh, but I, I, I do hold uh, at least to the first view pretty strongly. The second view I, I hold uh, fairly strongly as well, um, but not as strongly as the first. So I want to discuss dispensationalism and the rapture uh, and, and discuss what they mean. Now, I'm kind of like Daryl Bach in this sense that I would describe myself as a dispensationalist with a small d, meaning that I, I'm not one, and, and there are some out there who are, who do a great job, and I'm not dis, discrediting anything they do or dismissing their work whatsoever. But, but that's just, for me, at least right now in my ministry, in my stage, in my studies, it's not something that I'm overly emphasizing. But I do think it is important that we have a grasp of what dispensationalism is. Um, dispensationalists have been given a bad name. We are um, often portrayed as individuals who make these um, long, lengthy charts, uh, segmenting, uh, you know, even predicting the return of Christ or when uh, Christ will come for the church. You know, uh, there have been many people out there claiming to be dispensationalists who have given, who have overly sensationalized dispensationalism, and for that reason, the whole idea of dispensationalism has gotten a bad rap. Now, a lot of people also, erroneously, I think, uh, associate dispensationalism only with the movement found with John Nelson Darby, an Irish theologian, and um, think that some of these ideas correlated or, or began with him. Now, some of the different some of the different things, the way you segment them, may have started with Darby, uh, at least as they're popularly understood now. But the principles behind, underlying these views are, I believe, well um, existed well before Darby. In fact, uh, one of my professors told me about a book called Dispensationalism Before Darby that shows uh, the the uh, historical depth of uh, some of these views going far past far before Darby ever came on the scene. So I want to take a few moments first and foremost and describe dispensationalism, and you may find that you are a dispensationalist and didn't even know it. Okay, so there are two major theological perspectives uh, when we look at, and it is really based upon the nation of Israel and the church. Okay, the big conversation between dispensationalists and covenantalists, covenantal theologians, covenantalism is the opposite view in this regard. Okay, the the major difference between dispensational dispensationalists and covenantalists are what are how they view the church in Israel. Dispensationalists are going to see the church and the nation of Israel as two separate entities. Now, you may be listening to this and say, well, that only makes sense. You have the church and then you have Israel. But here's what happens. In covenantal theology, the church is seen as spiritual Israel. So, So when you look at the prophecies in the Old Testament pertaining to Israel, they identify, covenantal theologians will identify the church as being the ones who will receive the promises given in the Old Testament pertaining to Israel. 
So, so the church is the nation Israel, okay? And, and, I'm, and I'm really painting this with a broad brush, and I know there are several different nuances. When you get into this, there are several different nuances, several different details that have to be worked through. So I don't want to be unfair to my covenantal theologian, theological brothers and sisters out there. I, I'm painting this with a broad brush. I, I'm going to basically show you that what's, what Charles Ryrie calls the sine qua non, the, the core essentials of dispensationalism. But this is one of the... One of the major beliefs that distinguish uh, dispensationalists from covenantalists. Dispensationalists see a difference between the church and the nation of Israel. And they also, dispensationalists, believe that God is going to come through for the nation Israel with the promises that he had in the Old Testament, that he's going to come through with those land promises as uh, just as he did with the spiritual promises that we find in the New Covenant. So there is a distinction made between the church and Israel in dispensationalism. Covenantalism see the church and Israel being the same spiritual kinship, being the same, being the same thing. So dispensationalists also believe in a literal interpretation of prophecy. When, when the prophecy is talking about a land prophecy for the nation of Israel, they're going to say, yes, this is something that's going to come true in the nation of Israel. This is not associated with the church. This is associated with Israel. Now, covenantal theologians are going to go a different route. They're going to look at these prophecies in an allegorical state of mind. So they're going to allegorize uh, some of these prophecies, saying, well, there's a spiritual understanding behind this prophecy that spiritually... Uh, this is talking maybe about the new heaven and the new earth or something of that sort. So they're going to look at this as being some type of symbol. They're going to symbolize this instead of seeing this as a literal interpretation. Okay, so uh, also there's a belief that God has plans for the nation of Israel in dispensationalism. And then again, as I mentioned before, kind of co going along with the uh, other point that uh, that God has plans for, uh, that, that in covenantal theolo theology, the belief is that the spiritual Israel are the people of God, and they're the ones that will receive the, um, the, 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 the promises given in the Old Testament. And then also that there's a belief in that history will display the glory of God. Now, let me say this. I do think that, you know, and, I, and I kind of favor progressive dispensationalism, and that is that God has one plan, and that is to save, save the world, save lost souls. And that's been his plan, but I think. But oddly enough, even though covenantal theologians are normally Calvinists and dispensationalists are normally non-Calvinists, although that's not always the case, there are many Calvinists who are dispensationalists, and there are some non-Calvinists who are covenantal the theologians. So, it, 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 I'm speaking in generalities there. Um, it is interesting but that uh, covenantal theologians will say that the, that the history of the world is, is uh, God has a salvific intention in the history of the world. Well, dispensationalists will also believe in that, especially progressive dispensationalists will say, yeah, God does have a salvific plan throughout all of history, and he's enacted this through these different phases that he has, um, but, but it's all come down to faith in God. It's all come down to that. And then, and then faith in Christ, you know, obviously the covenant 
uh, found in Christ. You know, obviously people in the Old Testament believed in, in the covenantal sacrifice that was going to come, that God was going to work through Christ, and then those who came after Christ believed back upon uh, the, the covenantal sacrifice that was made by, you know, uh, Christ. And so, um, but, but anyhow, dispensationalists will emphasize the glory of God, that all of this including salvation, is for the glory of God. So, so the essential aspects of dispensationalism are that, one, that, that there's a literal interpretation of prophecy. When the prophecy is intended for the nation of Israel, it's, it's believed by dispensationalists that, uh, that God's going to come through with it. And, by, and, and in, along with that, too, they believe that God does have a future plan for the nation, the physical nation of Israel, ethnic Israel, that God hasn't given up on them, that he still has a plan for them. Uh, covenantal theologians do not behold that. They, they, by and large, there is a new covenantalism or a progressive covenantalism that's a little bit different. But uh, by and large, if you believe that God has plans for the nation of Israel, you're dispensationalist. I mean, and I've even heard people who say, well, I'm not a dispensationalist, but then they talk about the plans that God has for Israel. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, you are a dispensationalist. <laughs> if you believe that God has plans for the nation of Israel, you are a dispensationalist. If you don't, then you're a covenantal uh, covenantalist, a covenantal theologian, or this has even been called by some people a replacement theologian because a replacement theology because you believe that the church has replaced the nation of Israel if you are in the covenantalism. And again, believing that history is going to display the glory of God, that's an aspect of uh, dispensationalism and obviously the literal interpretation as opposed to allegorical interpretation. So, you know, it's interesting to me because I kind of thought that dispensationalists, uh, before really studying this, I, I didn't really think that I was a dispensationalist. But the more I le learned about what dispensationalism is, I thought, well, man, I've been a dispensationalist all along and didn't know it. So, again, I would say, I would be like what Daryl Bach would say, I would probably be a small d dispensationalist. But even still, um, you know, I, I think dispensationalism has been given a bad name, uh, quite frankly, because we associate certain individuals or certain movements with things without really exploring what the ideas are. And I think we could learn a lot in history, learn a lot in society by looking at the ideas, looking at the underlying issues instead of jumping on a bandwagon and thinking something, go and go extremes on certain issues. And the second point I want to make today on today's podcast is on the issue of the rapture. The rapture has received a lot of negative press uh, here recently, and I don't. Th I think it's been. I think it's been quite unfair, to be honest with you. And here again, I'm just talking in generalities. Uh, you know, I've had conversations with individuals online. This isn't specified to anyone that I that I've spoken with on this issue, but just looking at the the theological world and and even the apologetic world, that it seems like the idea of the rapture has uh, has has been given a black eye. In recent days, what is the rapture? What are we talking about when we say the rapture? Well, really, what it is, what it stems down to, is it is a first resurrection event. The people who hold to a rapture believe that the, that the rapture is the first resurrection. We're told of the resurrection of the righteous and the resurrection of the unrighteous. There are individuals who would say uh, there's a resurrection that takes place before this great tribulation upon the earth. Uh, that is, and and some people have erroneously said that God has 
just going to leave Israel to you know uh, let Israel take the brunt of it. Now you got to have. I think you have to understand here that that when the res if this if this rapture is true, this is talking about a first resurrection that comes for everyone, whether you're Jew or Gentile alike. Every child of God will be taken, and then what he's going to be doing for those seven years is he's going to be doing some political maneuvering to to get to a certain stage on earth where he is going to come through Israel to set up a millennial kingdom. Okay, he's going to come and set up a millennial kingdom for a thousand years, and this did not this idea did not begin with Darby. Okay. The, the earliest church held, now they may not have held to uh, pre, a pre-trib view, but they did hold to, to the idea that uh, there was going to be a literal millennial reign to, ha- to happen on earth. Okay? So, but now the, the whole concept of this rapture event... It, it, it is really it's what it really is is a first resurrection. It's distinguishing the first resurrection, the resurrection of the righteous from the resurrection of the unrighteous. Now there would be the people who hold this view would say, yeah, there are some people who are saved during this time of tribulation. God extends His grace even during this time. And there may be some people who were saved, not very many, but there may be a few people who were saved during this time, and during this time God will, will resurrect them towards the end. So there may be like a little mini resurrection that happens at the end of the tribulation. But as but as far as the um, as far as the, uh, the the rapture itself, it is a resurrection event, is what it is. We call it rapture because it gained the name. It comes from I think rapturus or rapio. I think is the word literally in Latin, and that comes from the Greek term parousia. And parousia is the is the language used by Paul in First Thessalonians, talking about the church being caught up being caught up now this whole concept of the rapture has been given negative press you know a lot of it has been associated with left behind series uh some people don't like the left behind series they think it's over sensationalized uh and i'll leave that up to you as to what you think about that but this idea of a first resurrection being distinct from the resurrection of the unrighteous is is not really all that unorthodox after all. In fact, if you look at Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 42, Jesus says this in the Olivet Discourse. Now, now, now he is talking in some regard about the destruction of the temple in Israel. Okay, And, and I do believe that some of the Olivet Discourse is talking about that. But th- there's, there's a question that the disciples ask concerning the end times. Their whole focus is on the end times. And so Jesus gives a little quip about um, a little snippet of information concerning the destruction of the temple, which would happen in 70 AD. But Matthew 24, 36, Jesus is now, and that word is is actually the word but, in uh, literally, but concerning the day or the hour, no one knows. Neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. And I catch the language here. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. Now, this whole concept, people claim that individuals who hold a pre-trib view say, well, well, the church is not going to suffer. The church is not going to go through time, a tribulational period. Or they're not going to be. They're not going to suffer. They're not going to uh, uh, experience hardships. That is not 
what pre-tribulationists believe. Now, now I, I'm I'm kind of fond of the pre-wrath view myself, but but um, I like pre-trib, I like pre-wrath, I like both of those views, and I flip-flop all the time as to where I am. But the point I'm simply trying to make is this: there's this whole concept that that the days being the way the days of Noah were shows that that this time period when this resurrection event happens, otherwise known as a rapture that it's going to be a time of great depravity. There's going to be a lot of bad things going on. Okay, So society is going to get worse and worse and worse. So when this rapture event, when this resurrection event happens, there's going to be a lot of bad things taking place in society. Society is going to be a very depraved society because that's the way the days of Noah were. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. Okay, now notice this language. God is bringing a judgment upon the world through the flood. But God puts the church, puts the faithful people in a safe place. He gets them in a boat, a a place of safety. Okay, you know, some people will say, well, maybe God's going to put the church in a place of safety. Have you read the book of Revelation and seen some of the type of stuff that's coming down? Coming down the pipe? There's some bad stuff. When the, when the, when the wrath of God comes, it, the, the whole language is, is that the skies are going to be rolled back like a scroll and mountains are going to be removed. Probably, in my opinion, this is going to be a meteoric strike, a cataclysmic proportions of quote-unquote biblical proportions. So, so there's going to be no safe place. <laughs> the safe place would be with God in heaven, you know, quite honestly. They didn't know until the flood came and swept all of them away. This is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. Two men, and I'll catch the language in verse 40. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Okay? The people who were in the safe place were taken away. Okay, kept safe from the flood, and then the others were left. Um, two women will be grinding grain with a hand mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore be alert since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken in two. This is why you are also to be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Listen to the words of Origen who wrote, uh, writes in the late 2nd, uh, early 3rd century. All who listen to the depths of the gospel and live it so completely that none of it remains veiled from them care very little about whether the end of the world will come suddenly or all at once or gradually and little by little. Instead, they bear in mind only that each individual's end of death will arrive on a day and hour unknown to him and upon each one of us. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, even being prepared for the time when the Lord will come after our soul. It's important, therefore, to be vigilant whether in the evening in one's youth or in the middle of the night that is at a human's life's darkest hour or when the rooster crows at full maturity in the morning when one is well advanced in old age when god the word comes and brings an end to the progress of this life he will gather up the one who gave no sleep to his eyes nor slumber to his eyelids and kept the commandments of the one who said be vigilant in all times 
but I know another kind of end for the righteous person who is able to stay along, say, along with the apostle, far be it from me to glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom the world is crucified to me and unto the world. In a certain sense, the end of the world has already come for the person to whom the world is crucified. And to one who is dead to worldly things, the day of the Lord has already arrived. For the Son of Man comes for the, to the soul of the one who no longer lives for sin and for the world. In other words, he is understanding this. And he allegorized this as this to a sense to say that there is, that Christ comes like a thief in the night, even when when our time on earth is over. So we need to be prepared. But he also understands this in, in another sense to say that Christ is coming in a time when we don't expect it to resurrect his church, to take his church home. Now, Fruchtenbaum says, I want to give you five quick things that Fruchtenbaum says concerning this resurrection event, this rapture-like event that I think is very compelling. He says in his book, and I have the compilation book, uh, the abridged edition of all of his works, on Yeshua, the life of Messiah, this abridged work. He said, um, the re- reasons to subscribe to a rapture view that the passage of speaking is will be presented in the exposition below. Uh, he, he gives five points. First, Matthew began the passage with the word but. There's more than one way of saying this in the Greek language, but the English word of, of two, uh, peri day, meaning now concerning, as Greek grammar books show, this construction denotes a contrast and often introduces a new subject. So here again, he's saying that uh, uh, he introduced a new topic by using this peri day construction. Second, no one will know the timing of the rapture. Yeshua noted that the angels of heaven do not even know when it will occur, nor even the Son and his humanity knew the timing. Only the Father knows. Third, the rapture will occur when conditions on earth are normal and people are eating and drinking, marrying and giving marriage. Now, I would also say, however, that due to the illustration being given comparing it to Noah, uh, I think it does show, in a sense, that uh, the, the world will be very depraved during this time. Fourth, when the rapture occurs, believers will be separated from unbelievers, and I think that's very clear that we could see. Fifth, Luke recorded Yeshua's warning to be watchful in order to escape the tribulation by means of salvation. This is the first indication in the New Testament that, uh, in his opinion, that it will be pre-tribulational. Now, I think he brings some good points. And again, you know, may not agree with the pre-tribulational view, uh, and I don't think you have to, but I think that uh, one thing we can see is that the language is pointing to a resurrection event and and um, I do think that um, we, we that some people have been a little bit harsher on this rapture idea than necessarily uh, than they necessarily should be. Uh, hey, listen, it may be that a post trib view is right. Okay, it may be that the second coming and and the resurrection uh, are the same event. You know, but even then, there's this calling up of the church. But to me, it seems like as I read the book of Revelation and, and concerning the, even the story of Noah's Ark, when God brought judgment upon the earth, he rescued his people from his wrath, okay, by, by being Noah and his family. Okay? In, in the same sense, I think, the, I think this illustration may show that when the wrath of God is ready to be poured out upon the earth, that Christ is going to take us out of that. Because I don't think his wrath is intended for the church. It's intended for those who consistently continue in their rebellious attitudes towards the Lord. 
And it's, it's uh, to bring an end to human history, to all the sin and depravity, and to eventually, ultimately, bring, uh, come to a point where there is a new heaven and there's a new earth, a place where there's no more evil, no more death, no more depravity, nothing but perfect peace, life, and human friendships for all eternity. And what could be better than So friend, this has been uh, Brian Chilton. You've been listening to the Bellator Christian Podcast. May God richly bless you, and we'll see you back the next time that we step into the arena. listening to the Bellator Christie podcast brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie podcast and bellatorchristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas.